Hello, and welcome to episode four of COVID Collaboration, a conversation about all things education. My name is Casey Ulrich, and I'm currently a high school math teacher. And this podcast is for any educator out there in the time of coronavirus. And I'm hoping this is a place where we can share stories as educators, ponder questions, and dive into the complexity of what's going on. So today, three educators are going to share their perspectives on the inequities they see in the system and challenge us all to do better for our students. Thanks for being here. What do you mean, submit, Ms. Rockwell? What, what, that's that button. You gotta push that button or your homework does not get to me. So today I plan on talking a lot less uh, to let you hear from teachers themselves, their stories, their hard work, their frustrations, and their wonderings. I hope this episode allows you to get into the shoes of the work being done right now of educators, and it challenges you to think differently about the way education works in our country, and I hope that it moves you in some way. The first piece is a response to episode three about grading. A student teacher from San Francisco accounting an experience that helped shape her thoughts on grading. Hi, um, so my name is Harry Huang. I am a student teacher at Mission High in San Francisco Unified District. So maybe I can tell you a personal experience. When I was taking a number three class at UC Berkeley as an undergrad math major, I met with um, our class grader in my professor's office. I was asking my professor a proving problem that I have been struggling for two weeks. I asked our grader, hey, how long it takes you to grade our work? I think some problems are quite challenging. And then she answered, it was okay. I have learned all of this in my high school because I have an awesome math teacher. Oh, that's very cool. And that was all I could say. But at that moment, I suddenly recognized that the gap between she and I were huge. I am from a first-generation immigrant family. My parents haven't even finished middle school because of some historical issues. And I'm still improving my English right now. <laughs> um, so... But she is probably from a white um, middle-class family that can afford to pay her to a private school. So what does it mean that I'm competing with some classmates like her in grades? Does our grades still mean the same if we receive the same grades? I don't know. <laughs> I just all in a sudden felt extremely proud of myself that I know uh, how, how tough the path was for me to achieve higher education. But I also know that with the ability to move from difficult situations freely, I am more than a number or a letter grade. How can this happen if 
any educational institution requires to see students' grades to determine their potentials. Yes, it didn't happen before. But now we have coronavirus <laughs> and things are changing and things can be changed in the future too. Yes, coronavirus is a crisis, but it can also be an opportunity for us to rethink our future. During coronavirus, I have heard from different places that students can take risks to explore their task now. If they didn't have a chance before, since our grading is a lot more generous, they have the chance to do it now. I'm not saying that this is not a good perspective. I'm, I just want to question that why why this can be happened after coronavirus. If taking risks to try things out is something that we value, why we allow grading this gatekeeper to stop it from happening? What we are pursuing in education is having students to be bold and to be creative and take charge of their own learning more important or mimicking that was considered to be right in order to have a good grade. You are listening to COVID Collaboration, and my name is Casey Elric. Uh, one of the things educators have talked about a lot in these times is the difficulty of communicating with families and with students, and how do we reach them, and how do we reach their families. So some people say, well, families aren't responding, or the kids aren't doing the work, or how do we make sure they are all right in general? So next, I continue my conversation with the middle school teacher, Rory Abernethy, who also shared some ideas on grading in episode three. At my school, they're talking about, oh, 911, we can't, we don't have emergency contacts for these kids and we don't know how to reach them. Now, between you and me, I know how to reach all of them because I've been talking to them this whole time. <laughs> and if you weren't concerned about those kids before, I just mm -hmm. find it strange. Like, how can you be a whole school that does not know how to contact those kids like what if they fell down and hurt themselves you're telling me this whole time we couldn't contact them so I made it a point to be able to contact every kid in my class especially the ones where the parents wouldn't return phone calls where the parents phone changed every five minutes and now because I built relationships with those kids I would do the daily update which was a positive and something your kid needs to work on every day. And so then I built relationships with the parents because they were like, I never hear anything positive. Like that's, that's nice to hear something positive. And then now those parents actually reach out to me and say, hey, this is my new number, you know, because my phone got shut off. And so like, if you establish those relationships all along, then you don't have the problem when there's a pandemic of not being able to reach certain kids. And then lastly, I will say, some people are like, well, the kids, you know, I don't, the number doesn't work in the system. I said, I don't know not one parent, not one parent that does not 
buy a new phone for their kid, even if it's a new phone every month and not the first number they type in there is mom, dad, grandma, whoever, because they want to make sure that that kid can reach them at all times. So at any given time, you just got to call the kid up to your desk and be like, hey, take out your phone give me the new number because I know you have it because your parents not going to let you leave the house without it. Even if it's not their parents, any person taking care of them wants to be, make sure a, that they can reach that kid and B that the kid can reach them. So that's what I will say. Like, hopefully people will take away from this, that every single kid, especially the ones that are struggling, I should have been in regular contact with their families long before. It's interesting. I'm wondering about, yeah, just what lessons and takeaways we have after this, right? Like maybe we can grow and be, I don't know, more effective educators moving forward. Yeah. And then there was always an equity issue with email, which I brought up over and over again. I said, email is a huge equity issue. If the only way you're reaching parents is through email, that's not right because a lot of parents don't have email. They just don't. And especially our most disadvantaged parents. And so you, and they don't have those types of jobs where they're on the computer all day. And they love the fact that they can get a text because if they're working an hourly wage job, getting interrupted in the middle of the day with a phone call can sometimes cost them their job and get them Mm -hmm. in trouble. So Mm -hmm. it's really important that we are able to do two-way texting communication in multiple language with every single parent. But even as as a admin team or as a district, you need to have two-way texting communication in multiple language, just one-way stuff does it work? Because you don't even know if the person got it. You don't even know if that's the latest number. Yeah, it's interesting because with some of our parents at like an international school, I've been, te- I tried texting. Um, there's a couple of parents email, um, but WhatsApp is popular, right? Internationally. That's a great, that's a great one. Yeah. Um, and then for my Chinese speaking students, families from China, WeChat. So yeah. that's, so it's like, it, it's, it's a little bit tough, but when you think about like, as a teacher, you want to be student centered, right. But also right. Com- like communication, you need to be family centered as well. Right. So, and under the freedom of speech, this is nationally under freedom of speech. Cause some districts say, Oh, it's a liability. You can't use those apps. Actually teachers have the right to use any app as long as the parent consents. So if a parent says, I am going to voluntarily sign up to chat with, um, teacher X on my own, then there is a freedom of speech thing in our constitution, you know, where the constitutional amendments, it says that you are able to talk to anybody anytime you want about anything. So if teachers are worried about their districts getting mad, as long as the parent voluntarily signs up, that is their consent. Hmm. And then you are able to discuss whatever you want with that parent, you know, and, and so as long, and then of course, caution people to really stick to discussing work with that parent. But I think that that is in terms of school shootings, you know, I've heard stories where people are like, yeah, I was able to reach all of my parents via Remind or WhatsApp or WeChat when the school system didn't get through to them. And, and I get that there's liability with like controlling the message, but I still think there needs to be the the legal system and the districts they need to move they need to uh, move forward into the future with this because these are the apps that the parents are using and that's and if you really care about reaching all parents in all languages from all cultures and all economic backgrounds then you got to get on board with the apps that they use so i did not know much about these apps before teaching at my current school but a list of the apps mentioned here will be online at kclrick.com slash covid collaboration 
in the link for episode four. So check them out and reach out if you have questions. I, I feel like everybody at my school cares. Like every teacher, every staff member at that school really cares about these kids. But I will say there's a hypocrisy in the system that all of a sudden you're caring about these kids. Like these kids have had the same issues <laughs> this whole time. And all of a sudden we're all going crazy. So like the excuses were rampant. Like, well, their parents don't care or they don't care or they come from a broken place and a broken home. And my argument has always been, well, if you look at like, for example, African-American students, I compare them to like a veteran of war. You don't say to a veteran, oh, you're weak. Oh, you're, you're worse. Oh, you, you're terrible. No, you say you're better, stronger, faster because you're a soldier. Like you know how to do things other people can't do. And they don't have that context with our students. They don't say you're better, stronger, faster. They look at them always at a deficit sense. And so I always, you know, being African-American myself, I always thought, you know, we're better, stronger, faster because we've had to do more with less. And so because people had that deficit sense, they never had a equity mindset. They always thought, well, I have to give this kid less they, because they can't handle it. You don't say that with a veteran. A veteran can do more. Like they've, you know, they've been able to move mountains and, and perform heroic acts. And so I don't think that's being acknowledged about our newcomer kids, our African-American kids, you know, kids that have gone through our impoverished kids, our foster kids, like they, people don't publicly acknowledge that they're like our societal heroes, the things they've survived and still be able to mm. function every day. And so I think that that's one thing that has caused this sort of freak out moment with equity because people are like, well, maybe this is the first time they are deeply thinking about because it's on this online platform. They're not, they're, they're thinking, okay, if you're sitting in my room, I'm teaching equity, equitably to everybody, but maybe the distance platform highlights that actually uh, this same thing's not happening with all the kids. You know, now that kid is not online, but they were physically not in your class. They were mentally not in your class. They were sitting in your class, but they were never mentally in your class. But now the distance platform, there's no hiding. You can't hide now. Yeah. Like, oh, they're actually, they've never been there. So yeah. the people that aren't there now, they haven't ever been there. You just saw them sitting there in your room, you know, hmm. and I used to call them when I taught high school, the silent but deadlies. Hmm. The kids that sat there, they never caused not any problems. They never got into it. They were never disrespectful, but they were silent. They were silently getting an F or they were silently yeah. silently not doing anything. And so people didn't never, that's never been highlighted as much as an equity issue. And so I think now that's coming out, mm -hmm. right? These people have been checked out for a long time. I wonder if there's a way during this time that we can celebrate some of our kids though, that despite all these things are still like, you know, doing it. I have some students that are just, their English level is low. Like they don't have, know. you know, these things, but they're still like one of eight people out of a hundred that turned in this project. But not just during this pandemic, but always. Yeah. yeah. They've always overcome these, yeah. uh, these tremendous things to get where they're going. And it's so many kids. It's not like an outlier. It's like so many kids day after day after day. Mm -hmm. that just overcome all the time. And instead of us looking at what they have done, we're always constantly looking at what they're not doing. It's like, yeah, they're at, you know, step five and everybody's at step 10, but look at how much work it took to get to step five. And then what am I going to do to get them to 10? Like, what is the extra supports I need 
And part of that, I think, is recognizing that they got to five, but not mm -hmm. abandoning the goal of step 10, but just being like, let me just acknowledge how much you did, you know? And then I think kids understanding that about themselves, because they're not cognizant of that. They're not aware of that. They just constantly think, well, I'm not as good. I'm not as smart or as good as this other person. And it's like, I think also articulating that to those kids, those are the people that need to hear it. Not the, the community, yes, but the really the kids themselves need to hear how amazing they are. You're like, oh no, you can do, you can go to 10 because look at what you already did, you know? So I think that's, that's part of the highlighting is the highlighting within themselves, you know? Coming up. Is the baby helping you focus on the math lesson? <laughs> she goes, mm, you know, for the baby. Can you get someone else hold the baby right now? Just is that possible? <laughs> like, What is your equity mindset? Do you have a story to tell? Share your thoughts and questions at kcelric.com slash COVID collaboration. That's C-A-S-E-Y-U-L-R-I-C-H.com slash COVID collaboration. Or reach out to us on Twitter at COVID learning. We have a small following, but would love to spread the word to inspire and hear more perspectives and thoughts from educators. As always, if you want to give back to communities in need, there's a link on our website this week, the link will go towards supporting our fund, which I'll let our next educator tell us a little bit more about. Our fund through Centro Legal de la Raza, which is a fund for teachers and connections to pledge their stimulus, and that money would then be used to support the undocumented OUR fund at Centro Legal. And Centro Legal is a nonprofit that has supported und the undocumented for a long time. What I love about this next story is the detail to which she paints the experience of a teacher in these times. The joy, the struggle, the frustration, and the desire to do more. My name is Sasha Rockwell, and I am a fourth, fifth grade combination teacher but it's really just fourth grade with a, a sprinkling of, well really now I only have one fifth grader. And I work in a, in a public school, a real public school in East Oakland. And we are 98% free and reduced lunch and 90% Latino, Latina. Uh, we also have a special education program on the campus for mild to moderate, or maybe it's, it's the highest level. So maybe it's moderate to severe for behavioral disabilities. And I'm the inclusion teacher. Before I, I need to just paint the picture of how serious the situation has always been at my school. I live in downtown Oakland near Lake Merritt, which is a very nice area, still has homelessness here, but the drive from my house is nine minutes to my work. And that drive has always been very painful for me in that I literally go through a warp, some kind of 
to some kind of unbelievable alternate universe that is right here in the Bay Area, right in front of us all. And yet, I don't know, I certainly didn't really see it until I started working in this community, even though I knew it was here in our United States of America. And I have traveled all over the world in my, in my earlier part of my career when I was a teacher abroad. And I've seen poverty in other countries that is comparable to what I see here in Oakland. And I know exists all over our country. I'm from New York City, it's there too. And this poverty is so inequitable. The fact that a, a student can go to a public school in our country and have a phenomenal education because of their zip code and because parents are able to organize an enormous amount of funds on top of the money that a public school student receives every year. In the state of California, a student receives a little over $11,000 a year from the government. But in a well-funded public school, the parent-teacher organization could throw millions on top of that. So that's not what it's like here in East Oakland when I had 29 students this year and they're crammed into a classroom that is not the best quality and there's too many kids in there for their needs. So that's that. And then we go into shelter in place. But none of my 29 students had computers. None. And eight of my 29 students did not have internet. And apparently eight is a very low number compared to other classes at my school. And I desperately tried to contact families immediately. I messaged them that Friday, the March 13th, when we went into shelter in place. I said on Monday, I will be messaging at 8.30 with a schedule of work. And when I say messaging, I mean a text message that I sent to families. Imagine if you're a family with more than a, one child, three children, you've got grandparents in the home, and you only have one cell phone, and this crazy teacher is texting you an agenda of work, of YouTube videos, of herself being ridiculous on YouTube. I have my own YouTube channel now, sending all this work to the kids and saying, your kids have to do all this work on this tiny little phone. And by the way, that's also the phone that might be calling with the food donation that's showing up at your door, or might be calling with information from unemployment, or your lawyer might be calling. So the inequity, the inequity was devastating, and I immediately became a social worker on top of being a teacher. I had, was calling families every day Families learned wonderfully so through trust and, and my terrible Spanish that I'm studying profusely. We, they've learned that they can trust me, I, some of them. And so I have filed for unemployment for a, a mother who cannot yet read. I have filled out the fund for our fund for several families. 
I've helped families write letters to their landlords to explain why they cannot pay rent. I have my three students who are newcomers to the United States who still do not have computers to this day or internet in their house. And today is Mark's week six. We do a video lesson for an hour every day at 5 p.m. on WhatsApp video, because that's what they all have. And it took a lot of, you know, like, what did this crazy lady want to do? Like, we're going to do a video on WhatsApp and I'm jumping around and sending them videos of me doing head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And now we've got a good system. It's a good routine. Five o'clock is the only time that works for all three families. That's amazing. I'm, I'm, see, this is the thing I love about uh, doing this podcast and just like hearing these stories because like it's amazing, Sasha, all the stuff that you're doing. So last night my student uh, called me so excited because he got internet in his house and it was 8.15 p.m. and I really was done. And he called and of course I guided him through the process on the phone. I have done this for several, 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 several students, like many of them, almost half of them or more than half of them really needed step by step because for many of my students, it has been such a hurdle, like to say things like click on a new tab or click on, what do you mean click? What does this word click mean? Yeah. We had this long discussion about the word submit. What do you mean submit, Ms. Rockwell? What, what, that's that button. You got to push that button or your homework does not get to me. <laughs> but I, I guided him through. And to see what finally when he opens it up and you see his face and he's so excited to see me on the computer he just was beaming you know and I'm showing him all the little homeworks he can do so excited that's that's worth it our kids are so impressive my students are incredible yesterday I said to my student is the baby helping you focus on the math lesson. <laughs> she goes, mm, you know, can you put the baby, can you get someone else hold the baby right now? Just, is that possible? <laughs> like, you know, my 10 year old student is holding a baby in the math lesson. It's not her baby, just to be yeah. clear. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, uh, just the, ch the, the challenges and yeah. the fighting. You know, I have a student I fully included from special education and he lives with his auntie and he sometimes goes to his mom's and that kind of, he falls off the radar a little when he's with his mom's, but when he's with his aunt, he's usually on it, but he's still, like his aunt is busy with her own responsibilities. And the other day, well, his aunt texts me, I got him a phone. Here's, he can't wait to talk to you. So I called him right away and I'm talking to him and he goes, I want to get on Google Classroom. And I was like, all right, we're going to do this. And it took so long. And at one point, he's a very, he's a struggling reader. And at one point, something popped up on the screen, you know, like a computer warning. Mm. It's complicated language and he's struggling to read it. And finally, he's like, all right, I'm going to just read, I'm just going to spell this word for you, Ms. Rockwell. <laughs> and it was U-S-E-R. It was user. And I'm like, 
Okay, we're good. I know. But the fact that he's going to fight, like, yeah. he, I am going to do this. I am going to yeah. figure this out. I am going to get on there. And he's, and he's there now. He's there for our lesson. I don't think we could ever go back to normal, whatever that was before, because the normal was unacceptable before. And if we want to go back to normal, then I think that is problematic. I think we need to rethink the way our world is gonna look when we leave shelter in place. I think the fact that Mayor Libby Schaaf is able to house the homeless in hotels now, the homeless should be housed forever. The fact that we do not have internet for all, internet is now a human right and everyone deserves it. And I believe that people need to build their community. And that just means having conversations with people. Do you think that the world we had before was equitable? And do you think that we could change our world to really support everyone in need? Thank you for tuning in to COVID Collaboration. I hope it made a difference in your day. And as always, I wanna give a shout out to all the nurses, doctors, paramedics, grocery store workers, everyone that's out there that is working um, as an essential worker. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. Do what you can to change your corner of the world and make your students more free. Thanks for listening.